0: A look behind closed doors, an ear for disregarded topics, a voice for the quiet ones. Up next on ARA City Radio, Francisca explores local matters. On Local Matters this week we talk about the risk of radicalization. As public discourse gets more polarized, the doors towards a personal radicalization are open. Especially in online discourse, the danger seems to be inherent. For our interview today, Mira Sorrentino has joined us. Mira works with the association Respect.lu to keep people from pursuing the path towards radicalization. First of all, hello, Mira.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having us.
0: Thank you for coming. With the association Respect.lu, you have been working in the field of deradicalization. radicalization and especially you have been dedicating quite some time to the research on online radicalization and radicalization in the digital sphere. So we all know a bit about the dangers that have come up lately, especially now we see it again also in the um, Israel-Palestina war that Online social media and in general the digital communication ways can be used for disinformation. Which role does that play, according to you, in the process of radicalization?
1: When we talk about online spaces, I think it's almost impossible to imagine a world without them. So they have become a part of life and, as such, also of radicalization and radicalizing processes. I think the correlation or the effect of as to how much social media and just digital spaces affect radicalization processes aren't exactly known. So we don't like a technologically deterministic approach where, for instance, we'd say it is only the YouTube recommender system, for instance, or it's only TikTok videos that um, radicalise a person. I think it's also very much an individual process where um, not only is it the social media channels, but it's also why, why does this content resonate with me? Pertaining to disinformation, I think disinformation plays a big role in most radicalisation processes um, and have also been appropriated by most extremist groups regardless of the ideology or religious background. I think, especially with social media now, a lot of the time um, news have become instrumentalized. you know, phenomenons that are happening, current events, and they have been used uh, for their own gain.
0: Well, if you say that uh, these are mostly individual paths and maybe also um, individual preferences um, according to which people are targeted, there are still some kind of, um, I'd say, maybe templates or ways that have worked in convincing people of a more radical ideology or more radical means to follow um, an ideology. Can you... Say a bit, which kind of patterns are there?
1: I think what has worked uh, particularly well for the alt-right on new digital rights, uh, far-right movements, has been memes, uh, the participation of memes. I think memes lower the entry barrier to participating in extremist movements, mainly through also the irony and transgressiveness, which is also quite inherent in the digital discourse of Zoomers, so the Gen Z generation. And so through memes, I really like the phrase that says a meme is a joke that has not been finished. And so it really creates a sense of like having inside information, which then also leads to a stronger feeling of being part of an in-group and also being part of an imagined community. And so it's through those memes as well that then those actors or those extremist groups can really hide their you know their racist ideologies, for instance, their extremist ideologies, and just say, "Oh, it's just a joke," and it's exactly those jokes that make the anti barrier just so much lower. So
0: that's basically to catch people to drag them into this group or this um, uh, circle of people.
1: Yes, exactly. I think it also memes also mean that you can, as an individual, participate in the cultural dissemination of them as well as you know you you consume them but then you also you also produce you produce them as well you convey meanings through them and i think that is especially important when it comes to racist memes and memes that dehumanize minorities because it is the entry barrier is so much lower and it is also it's quite subtle it's not as as obvious as someone just uh preaching for instance because it it's fun in a way memes are fun It's fun to have inside information about them. It's fun to know a meme that your friend might not know.
0: Do you have an example maybe of uh, one meme or one type of meme that has worked specifically well?
1: Yes, maybe uh, Pepe the frog, um, the quite famous frog that actually does not have any white supremacist uh, meaning. Uh, it was created by a guy, um, I think he was an illustrator and then it was at some point in 2016 co-opted by the Upright in America. And it has since become a a symbol of the alt-right, if we think back of the Charlottesville rally um, that took place. um, There were a bunch of banners, a bunch of posters with Pepe the Frog. And there have also been Pepe the Frog iterations, Pepe as Donald Trump, Pepe as Hitler. So I think that has worked quite well. And it's also been part of the, I think the ADL has put it as part of like their hate speech uh, or hate symbol database, so it's really been co-opted by them. Even though the actual Pepe the Frog wasn't a white supremacist symbol, but it has become one through the reproduction of um, cultural meaning that memes do offer.
0: Where is then the step from um, maybe being becoming part of this group that understands the meme or the joke towards a more radical thinking?
1: So I think with. Um, social media and if we think of like those Chan boards, 4chan, 8chan certain Reddit boards as well, Reddit channels. So just simply understanding the meme doesn't mean that you are part of a extremist group. However, I think what works so well in those groups is that um, the irony becomes And the jokes just become crueller and viler and viler. And it leads to this dehumanization of the other. Most of the time, it's minorities. And so if you see the meme the first time, you might, you know, have like an averse reaction to it. But by the 15th time you see him, it just really also leads you to see the other person as less than human. And in the worst of the cases, we always say that, in order to use violence, you need to see the other person as a non-human. Um, I mean, it worked really well with the Nazis who called Jews as parasitic. And so it has worked really well with other white supremacist ideologies. And so it's this process through humour and through your irony um, that's not funny and that is blatantly racist that at some point you do become dehumanised and desensitised to, to those ideologies.
0: So it's basically a long process um, of always being fed again this one image.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's not only one image. I I think it's just a cluster of various different memes uh, and images that also exist within the wider pop cultural sphere. So most of the time, the meme itself is not white supremacist. Most of the times they are corrupted by certain movements. So the meme exists in the wider you know, pop cultural or cultural sphere on the internet and then at some point it will then um, become corrupted by those um, movements. If we talk about radicalization
0: lately in society, it's often associated with ISIS or um, Islamist fundamentalists. You talk a lot about the far right, actually, but you've also examined and observed other movements that are maybe smaller, less, less ideological online, like, for instance, the tradwives mm-hmm. on uh, social media, the traditional housewives. Um, Can you tell me a bit about these kind of smaller, more niche movements and what is their relation to radicalization?
1: Mm -hmm. So, for instance, the Trap I think, are really a really good example of a movement that uses an ideology and tries to sell it as a lifestyle. And so they are movement of white, mostly white women uh, in the Western sphere that believe that it is uh, a woman's role to stay in the home and to also be subservient to one's husband. And so the movement then has also shares a wider DNA with uh, the York right. And it really plays into, to, into their agenda of, um, you know, reproducing the reproduction of what I'm paraphrasing as the white race. Um, so that is a movement that's quite on the fringes, but then through TikTok, for instance, has worked quite well and has then also penetrated the wider algorithms. And and so it's something that the BBC has written about. There's documentaries about them. And it works so well because the ideology plays a role but it's not so obvious if you'd see the video itself it's mostly they're quite aesthetically pleasing um, it's all about like pastel colors um, and it really plays like an homage to the 1950s like suburban America it is really when you examine the content of the videos and you see that oh if we think back about the on the 1950s and suburban America it was mainly a time when the American cultural identity was white and it was conservative and it was heterosexual. And so that also plays a really big role in that because it's so subtle, but it really conveys and it's able to convey meaning through not many words, but through a lot of images. And this sounds like a
0: normal social media trend somehow. In which ways do you connect this to radicalization or how would, why do you see that this is a radical movement?
1: I think it's definitely an entry point uh, into other more radical or more extremist movements because the way the YouTube recommender system and probably also TikTok work is that they tend to recommend you content that is more extreme. So regardless if you watch videos about sports, you will eventually end up with a video about extreme sport. And so if we think back about the trapmos, which... On the first site seem quite harmless, um, the YouTube recommender system will probably recommend you videos that become more and more extreme um, and so 70% of the videos that we watch on YouTube have been recommended to us. So it plays quite a significant role in that, um, in that uh, way. But I also think in terms of radicalization, um, it's really important that we do not forget the women of the far right, um, specifically. So it's not only the men marching through the streets that we've seen in Charlottesville, for instance, it's also women that through the sharing of cultural materials such as trap wife content, then also play a significant role in, you know, making this fringe phenomenon or those fringe ideologies quite known to the wider public. I think it's important to acknowledge that not all track viruses are radicalised, but that they do constitute a an entry point into other movements other more extreme movements and that they have played a significant role in just the dissemination of what was previously considered a fringe ideology but yeah I mean there's also women and men that want to be stay-at-home mums and dads and that is I mean you go girl or you go guy Um, but it's really this um this focus on being subservient to a man and also that most trackwives are white western women um, and there has also been some links with trapwires and the wider alt-right that is really important to consider. Do actually
0: the algorithms uh, foster radicalization or more extreme views?
1: I'd say that the recommender system definitely does recommend more extreme content. Um, There's been a couple of studies, I think uh, the New Times did an experiment as well, where they created a fake profile and then would just type in, I think this was pertaining to the incel and the manosphere, just someone that's quite misguided, wanting to know some dating advice, and it eventually led them to quite misogynistic um, incel content. So I think in in that way, the recommender system does play a role, but um, it's also in the YouTube comments that a lot is happening as well. It's there where a community gets together most of the people do not tend to just watch they're not only um present on one website they're not just on youtube they are on youtube they are on instagram maybe they have a podcast um and so it's really this like micro cosmos that that then uh, comes to comes to be what would you say, like, what role does
0: this um, communication culture online play? Recently, you often hear this claim that online and on social media, communication is much more polarized and much, well, less masked, maybe more aggressive as well.
1: Yes, I, I'd agree that um, the way we talk online has become so polarized, Um what plays a role in this is also that extreme more extreme opinions have through TikTok, uh, Twitter and Facebook have also become incentivized, mainly through the retreat button, through the like button, through the comment section. And so when you comment something or when you post something, not only do you want to talk to someone in the public sphere, but you also in the back of your mind you know that there is an incentive uh, for people to like you for people to comment you and so in that way that incentivizes then more extreme views we also know that on facebook for instance more extreme views tend to generate more reactions and they are then also um, preferred by the uh, algorithms on facebook
0: so this polarization is actually more heavy online than offline
1: yes and No, I think in a way it It is because it's much more difficult to get nuanced points of view across on social media because you only have a certain amount of characters and you really try to get your point across in not that many words. And so a lot of it is missing as well, eye contact, just body language. And so it's a lot harder to get to discuss with someone on social media also because it's not a private room uh, unless you use the chat function. Most of the time you are really... in in the public it's a digital public sphere and so you know that other people are listening to you and so this intimacy that you might have when you talk to someone when you're in a bar for instance and you want to discuss something isn't present on social media because you are so hyper aware that other people might be listening in might be reading what you are saying and so what you are saying is then then also transformed through that knowledge that you have
0: thank you mira thank you That was Mira Sorrentino in our interview. Mira works with the association respect.lu to keep people from radicalizing. And we talked about the risks of online radicalizing. And we talked about the risks of social media regarding radicalization and the spread of extremist ideologies. That was Local Matters with Francisca Peschel every Tuesday to Thursday at nine forty on City Radio 102.9, 105.2, 87.8, and in our podcast on RSCTRadio.com.